morning, I would like to have you, if you would, uh, find your Bibles, and we're going to show and talk about something quite remarkable. And that is found in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Don't you love this picture of this little boy here? He's got his Bible all lined up there. I thought that was so cute. Luke chapter 9 has a significant part because in Luke chapter 9 we're going to see as, as the gospel story unfolds and it starts in uh, verse 51. If you would look down at verse 51. As, as the time approached for him, talking about Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. This particular passage that particular mark in the book of Luke starts what is called the travel narrative. I wrote it right into my Bible. This is the travel narrative. And what do they mean by the travel narrative? The travel narrative was the indication of Jesus now had turned himself and now he was heading from Galilee down to go to the cross, making his way. And the disciples urged him, oh, don't go down there. Don't go down there. Because they knew it would be trouble for them if he went. They knew that they were out. The things were angry and happening. The closer you got to the temple and to Jerusalem, he knew, they knew, that things were bad. But Jesus knew that he had to go there because he knew he was going to Jerusalem to be crucified. He knew that. So their thing was to protect him and to stop him. Here is a temptation given to Jesus by his disciples not to go to the cross. And I bet any of us who had been with him would say, that's not a safe place, they're going to kill you if you go down there. There would be a safe place, so stay up here. All of us would have urged that as well, would we not, for our friend? Missing what the real importance was. King James says it even stronger. He steadfastly set his face. Steadfastly. He was determined he was going to go to Jerusalem because he knew we needed him to save us from our sins. He knew that. Just to tuck this in there, Galatians said, but when the time, set time had fully come, God sent forth his son. It was right on the time Jesus could not have died at any other time. It had to be that exact weekend, that exact Friday. It was all done, laid out in prophecy. Going. So Jesus had spent some time up in Galilee. It was safer up there. He traveled around, but then he turned and sent his way down. Because Passover was on its way. It was coming soon. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there in the Samaritan village there did not welcome him because he was headed for Jerusalem. Now, there's more to it than just reading that. He was headed to Jerusalem because it was the time of Passover. And they knew that the Jews were all streaming down to go to Jerusalem as they were required to come before the Lord at Passover. Three times a year, one of them was Passover. So they were traveling down. They knew that. Now, the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along. Because if you know this story, John and I have been to this spot. John and I know that on one side, one side of the um, valley going down there, there's Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And Mount Ebal was the place in Mount Gerizim where Joshua divided Israel and put six tribes on one side, six tribes on the other. 
And as they were going down, going into Jerusalem, uh, excuse me, going into the promised land the first time, as they came in, they had the law read on Mount Ebal and the blessings on Mount Gerizim. And so what happened was that they said, if you follow the blessings of God, these, all these things, if you obey me, these things will happen on Mount Gerizim, on Mount Ebal, if you do not. Curses will happen, but they built an altar up on top of Mount Ebal and offered because of God had already knew they would, and he prepared a sacrifice ahead for them. So he's on his way. If you recall, when Jesus was at the Jacob's well, which is right down between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. It's right down in the valley, right between there. At Jacob's well, what happened there, Jesus met the Samaritan woman. And if you remember the conversation Jesus has said to them, oh yes, and she said, we worship here up on this mountain, up on Mount Gerizim. The mountain of blessing, not the mountain to sacrifice. The mountain of blessing. But you worship down in Jerusalem. So as Jesus was making his way, as he was making his way down there, and on their way to, it was kind of like saying to the Samaritans, we're on our way to worship in the most holy place, in the real place where we should worship. And you're up here worshiping on, on, on a mountain that is of no significance. So the Samaritans had that at that time. They pushed us. Oh, no, 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 no. You understand that? So they're on their way. And they got to this little Samaritan village. And there's a Jesus coming. And they're probably looking for some place that they can eat and stay. And so they're on their way. And the Samaritan is not here. We're not going to participate in any of that. You, no, not here. Notice this. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, these are the sons of thunder. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? And I go, what? What? Can you imagine? Jesus is on his way to offer himself as a sacrifice for all mankind. He's on his way down there. And here, he's getting people. So, oh, no, they're rebu rebuking. They don't let him in. It's Samaritan village. And so, John and James's solution. John, the gospel writer. The solution is, call fire down from heaven. Lord, do you want us to do that? And we'll wipe out those people. <laughs> Don't you think that's a little harsh? But you see, the Samaritans were so despised, they didn't care. You know, they didn't care about the Samaritans. They were just people that were in our way. And Jesus turned and rebuked them. And rebuke them. No, that's not the solution. <laughs> that's not the solution. And as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Wherever you go, I will follow. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for Jesus to hear? And the man wants, the man wants to follow him. It, it would be just, that's a great thing. That's a, and I'm going, that's a great idea, right? That's a great request. And Jesus responds to him, now, foxes have dens and birds have nests. 
but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, what we would say, if we were to say that today, Jesus was homeless. He had no place to stay, no place to fall. So he's really asking that man, would you, oh, uh, would you be okay being homeless, traveling with me? Would you be okay if you said you're going to follow me wherever you go, wherever I'm going to go? Would you, would you be okay being homeless? And I've been thinking, <laughs> would I be okay being homeless, following Jesus? Well, I would hope, but boy, that would be tough, you know? I mean, where am I going to plug my laptop in, and, and uh, where am I going to put my toothbrush? I mean, I, I suppose I could take my suitcase along, but, but dragging it along, but, you know, what about my suits and the pictures of the family? And, and I, I mean, I've got stuff that, I, that I, you would really ask me to be homeless, and Jesus challenges him. Is that what you're asking? You said you're going to follow me wherever you go. Would you be okay? Would you be all right being homeless if you're going to follow me? It does give us a little pause to reflect, does it not? And then Jesus said to another, follow me. Jesus invited this man to follow him. And, but, but he replied, the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. That's, that would be, to me, yes, if my father passed away, that was a priority. I mean, when my dad passed away, I, I flew across the country to go to Loma Linda to be there for his funeral. Everything stopped. I went. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom. Now, we can say, oh, that was really harsh of Jesus to say that. Well, really what he wasn't saying that you, you shouldn't bury your, your son, just ignore that. What he was saying was, let those who are spiritually dead do that. But is your mission, is your deal to follow me, is your commitment to follow me greater than that? Is, your, is it greater, is your commitment more than that? He wasn't really telling him, don't bury the dead. He was, he, was, he was saying more, are you more committed to this than just saying, well, it's a nice idea. And still another said to him, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Well, of course. Of course we would do that. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. I lived in one of my first churches that I pastored by myself was in Kerman, uh, California. Kerman is a little farming community. And I had a lot of farmers in my church. Uh, in fact, there were four brothers and each of them had their family there and had their farms. And it was amazing for me, for the Jorgesons, they're wonderful people. But I could quickly come in and for every, almost, almost hit it all the time when I came into the small church, I could say, good morning, Mrs. Jorgeson, and almost never miss 
because even though I, <laughs> because most of them were all the wives of those families or whatever, they, they were all just related. But they were farmers, dirt farmers. And those dirt farmers knew how to plow a field. And they would teach their children that when you're plowing, you keep your eye straight ahead, looking and never take your eye off that post or where you're going to keep your rows straight. If you start looking around, pretty soon things start going all over. Are you familiar with this? Some of you are nodding yes. So you have to be committed to that view that you're going to keep a straight. You're going to have to be committed. And they would have to have straight rows or the water system would not work. So they had to keep those exact straight rows. And you would look, they would go for acres and acres and they wouldn't waver one little bit. See, no half-hearted workers. No half-hearted workers. So Jesus is dealing here in Luke chapter 9, as they're making his way, these people step up and, he, and they ask him, you know, oh, I'll follow you. They were asking him on the way he's going to the cross. In a few days, he's going to be in Jerusalem with the passion. And so he says, are you really committed to this? Are you, are you really looking to be a follower? Are you really looking to be a disciple? You have no idea what this is going to mean to you. Now, on their way, and if you'd go right down, this is interesting because the traveling there, it takes us right into the next chapter, chapter 10. And on our way, as you go down through that, in chapter 10, look at the very next one, is where he sends out the 70, or the 72, there were 72 of them, where he sends out on their missionary journey. And in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16, which you can read on your own, he gives them in the instructions of what they're to do. Now, I... They, they go out and they do the thing. All right, so I want to pick up with verse 17. So the 72 returned with, look, with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit in your name. Remember we had looked just a short time ago as we were talking about the disciples couldn't drive that devil out of that boy. But now here they go, the 70, who follow Jesus' instructions. Something is different and something has changed. So here they are, with great joy they return. They're so happy because even the demons submit to your name. They are going in Jesus' name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like a lightning from heaven. What is he talking about? Jesus was there when Satan was cast out of heaven. He saw that Satan came down as earth. He saw the trouble taking. But I have given you authority to trample on snakes. Stop right there. Who trampled on snakes? Who got? Remember Paul as he was going on his last mission journey? He was on shipwrecked and they got to an island. They were building a fire and so forth. And a viper came out and bit him. Remember that? But it didn't kill him. There's a direct fulfillment of, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. I, will, I have given you, I have given you that. For nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, the evil spirits, but rejoice. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. <laughs> Rejoice that your names are... The far greater thing, Jesus is saying, the far greater thing about it is, 
When you're following me and you're doing work, don't rejoice that they would, oh, you're so happy that they stepped. The greater, the much greater thing would be you have eternal life. Matthew 6 tells us, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. See, they're, they're all part of that. And at this time, Jesus, full of joy, and I'm going to share with this with you as we look down through this. And at that time, Jesus, full of joy, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, because of what had taken place and because of the 72, he was full of joy, said, I praise you, Father, in heaven. He's praying and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and he was talking about, of course, the Pharisees and the scribes and the rulers of the law, and revealed them to little children, to the 72, not the guys, you know, Yes, Father, for this is what you, has pleased, what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Remember, the apostles said, show us the Father. Show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Then he turned to his disciples privately. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, many prophets and kings want to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. You see, we see through their eyes. They were the eyewitnesses. They were the ones that saw him. They were the ones who walked with him. They were the ones who followed him. And so we, by faith, and by reason... Because the Lord challenges us to come and reason. Through their eyes, see what Jesus was like and what he was doing and the story that was revealed to us so that we may believe. So this morning, there is the call to follow him. Lord, I need to go bury my dad. Are you with me? Lord, I need to say goodbye to my family first. We need it before I follow. Are you committed to me? Jesus asks. Are you committed to following me? The following of Jesus may take us incredibly wild places that we have never thought before. To our young people who are going ready to go off to Oshkosh, to experience that, you never know where the Lord is going to lead you. I have been shocked by the places that I have been that God has called me to go. I never in my life dreamed that I would stand 
in Moscow at Red Square. Never, ever thought that. I never thought I would preach in Arakutska, Siberia to a church that had been 60 members max. After the fall, it grew to over 400 members, 600 members, sorry. Within just a few weeks, it was interesting to be with a church where everybody was, just about everybody, 90% of them had uh, been Adventists for, you know, four or five weeks. It was, it was interesting. I never thought I would be building a church in Mexico. Or in Kenya, Africa. Or in Wausau, Wisconsin. Or Boston Temple. I am looking back over my life how God led me to these places that I never would have expected, including standing here as your pastor in Naples. I never thought I had retired. And here I was. So where is God leading you in your call? Where is he? If you listen, if you be open to him, you will find the doors open and the Lord will say, great joy will come to you. My wife, I wish she could be here more often. She can hardly ever get here because she travels so much. But she likes to do missionary work. And she's been medical missionary. When the Marines were in um, Somalia. She was uh, watching television and she saw an appeal from Samaritan's Purse that they needed medical personnel in Somalia to help. She's a registered nurse, been a surgical supervisor. She took a month's vacation, jumped on a plane at her own expense, went to Somalia with Samaritan's Purse, went to Mogadishu, and there she uh, did triage work for, on the streets, bandaging people up, saving their lives. Guns being fired all around overhead. War zone. I said, Michelle, weren't you afraid? She said, not one moment, because I knew that that's where the Lord wanted me at that time. And there was no fear. Great joy to be able to help. So you never know where God will lead you and take you. You never know what door will be open. Just see, say, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Dear Lord, I thank you for this experience of being called discipleship. It's a challenge to us. I, I thank you, Lord, for the, for the response that we can give to you to follow. Wherever you, you would go, we will come. May that be the commitment of our heart. We may be right here in Naples, but we don't know. Open the door. Wherever you would lead us, in Jesus' name, amen.